I'm an expert on things that go wrong at Christmas. You name it, I've done it. Can I give you the top two? I mean, here's what's happened to some of you. Your packages are delivered late. Uh, they uh, break in, pro- in process or they melt. Uh, don't send chocolate in the mail, okay? Uh, sometimes they're stolen. Flights are delayed or canceled. It's this thing called weather. Uh, you're going to spend some time with uh, some someone. You're going to spend some time with someone at Christmas, who you find out to be real difficult, and they are trying your patience. But here are my top two: a Christmas tree that we cut ourselves, and when we cut it, it is a you know you go out and the the trunk of the ones you buy at the store are about like this, but the trunk of the one that you buy or that you cut yourself is about like this, and you put it into a receptacle for a trunk that's about like this. So you tighten as much as you can and the screw you know the screws are almost touching each other as they get to the trunk and you notice that it's leaning just a little bit when it's tightened. But you say, hey, that's okay. It's a you know it's a organic Christmas tree. So you put water in it, you put sticky water in it so the sugar will, you know, go up to the tree and keep it fresher. You decorate it with all the lights and all the receptacles. You go to bed at night and you hear a crash. This has happened to me several times, with, okay? And I'll tell you how I fix it, but, I, you know, this, is, this has happened several times. We go out and ornaments are broken, uh, lights are crushed, and that sticky sugar water is all over the, the floor. Well... What I learned to do is just get a little bit of fishing line and you take it around the top of the tree and you attach it to both sides of the wall and lo and behold, just that little bit at the top keeps it from going one way or the other. That's free, okay? You don't have to give an offering because of that, but if yours fall over, that's free. The second one is is just ours. But we noticed that uh, we picked it up from the Christmas movie, uh, the movie called The Christmas Story, about 1950s Christmas, and a really good film. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, four years ago, approaching Christmas. Uh, our remodel had gone longer for our kitchen than expected. Oh, surprise, okay? And uh, we said, we, you know, the whole family is coming in Christmas Eve. You must be done by Christmas Eve. Two o'clock Christmas afternoon, Christmas Eve afternoon, they're done. Or at least they're done for now. And they leave. And Barb tries to move the entire kitchen back, get everything prepared for Christmas morning so we'll have a great breakfast, get everything under the tree and, and everything else. And my daughter is there helping her. They go to the worship service. Uh, and then they, they, they come back. And and uh, my daughter looks at Barb and says, uh, what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> I didn't think about dinner on Christmas Eve. Barb didn't think about dinner on Christmas Eve. It was just way too busy. So they go to Coal Mine Dragon and get Chinese takeout. And if you've seen the movie, A Christmas Story, fa ra 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 and uh, I don't do that to make fun of the Chinese and the fact that they can't do L's because understand that this Christmas, there could be about as many Chinese Christians on the mainland worshiping Christ Jesus for who he is at Christmas than maybe in the United States of America. It is awesome. So but, um, it's funny, but I'm not trying to make fun of, of, of anybody else. Uh, <clears throat> 
The chances are you have your own stories of Christmas uh, disasters. But I, I want to hit you with just a little bit of reality. The birth of Jesus was in many ways on the human level a disaster. If anything could go wrong, it pretty much did. And because there's so many things involved with Christmas, they, they do tend to go wrong because there's more things. Now, this Christmas season, we are enjoying a, a combined series of messages in the morning and inviting you to either do online, which we can still help you do, or uh, buy one of these kits uh, with DVDs and go back and look at a pretty closely to history view of, of how Jesus was born. Because I want you to know you won't find that at Macy's. You won't find that at your office party. It's pretty much just family and friends. And, and if you gather, it takes you back to these two rural uh, teenage people called Mary and Joseph and what they've gone through. So our series deals with both the morning messages, a video you can watch, and then we uh, do a going deeper series where you can take this home. And at the very, the last question each night is like a family activity that you could do with your children, or at least it's a thought starter. So here's where we've got. We have to understand that first of all, uh, Christmas was not, not an accident, but God planned it. It was according to what he wanted. And we have that perfect, uh, that, that wonderful phrase in, uh, in, in Galatians that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He had been waiting. He knew it was coming. He knew the timing. We did not. And though it looks very ordinary and very hidden and very obscure, obscure, God does it in the fullness of time. That was week one, and you can listen to these online. Week two, we look at the favored one who is Mary. She is favored because God chooses her to give birth to the Savior. And we know that we are favored if we place our trust in the Savior and receive the forgiveness of sins, the reason why he came. Third week, last week, we looked at Joseph being the faithful one. I mean, he's faced with all these changes in his life which he did not plan. He, he's faced with the great cost of, of still being attached to Mary, of bringing out a baby that was not his own. It would cost him his reputation. It would cost him his dreams for the future. It would cost him his own security. So this week we go forward, and of course it's about time we get to Jesus. Uh, and one of the names of Jesus is this name, Emmanuel. Translated from the Hebrew in, in the book of Isaiah, it means God with us. God with us. Now what comes to mind when we think of that title? Think about it, just to have God with us, we probably think, man, when God is with me, Everything is going about as well as any life can possibly go. Uh, I'll have enough stuff in my life. I'll have enough finances in my, in, in my bank account. Uh, I'll have, uh, 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 I'll have enough status wherever I live. I mean, by His almighty power, that means everything will be working in our favor. I'm just waiting to win the lottery. Because that will just mean God is with me. So the conclusion is, is that uh, Emmanuel means good things are always happening to us. And I want to say this. That's not completely wrong, but it's only half right. 
God with us is not the evergreen Emmanuel of, of American success. But it's part of it because we realize that God is at work. He has put skin on. And more than that, he continues to be in our lives and bless it. But there's a second half. So let's begin with the good half. I want you all smiling when I'm done with this. We'll go to the bad half. And I'll try to use humor so you can still smile. But here's the good half. We find that Jesus exists before Bethlehem. Not just in his mother's womb, but it says this in John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So when you're half right, you understand that Jesus has a pre-existent life before Bethlehem. John tells us that though he is born by Mary, he exists for eternity before with God the Father. When it says he's the word, it means he's the expression of God. That's how he gets the title. Well, the splendor that goes with that title includes an eternal nature. It means that he is at the very side of God, the Father. And and, and he, he shares the, the stuff, the DNA of God himself. Friends, that is amazing that that God is with us. But there's more. Because we understand not only does, is he pre-existent and eternal, but it says this, that he's involved in creation. John 1, 3, through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he exists before creation, and creation owes every atom of its existence to him. If it exists, he makes it. So his splendor and his glory are unmatched. They're incomparable. They're unsearchable. They're incomprehensible. And yet his attention is not to bring honor to himself. Jesus has this deep down core value to bring honor to his father. So when his heavenly father says, now I want you to leave all of this glory and honor and splendor in heaven and I want you to go to earth and I want you to know pain. I want you to be around people who are experiencing pain. And God then says to him, now, Now's the moment. It is the fullness of time, son. And so in his perfect timing, he says, now, now go and bring about forgiveness for the sins of humanity. And Jesus only answered, and it's not recorded anywhere, but his only answer because he's so in tune with the Father and, and so in tune with creation, his only answer is yes, now. And through the miracle of the Holy Spirit, Mary carries the Lord of the universe in her womb for nine months, just like every other mother. So you would expect when Jesus comes through that birth canal, when he is actually brought into oxygen here on our planet, you would think, well, gee, he's God. Therefore, he should look like God. What does God look like? He should act like God. He should show power like God, and he should be, from birth, as smart as God. More than that, because we go to, some of us go to these uh, museums where we see uh, not just ancient art, but, uh, uh, you know, art from the Renaissance and before the medieval times. He was born with a halo. 
How do we know that? Because Mary has a halo in all the pictures, right? So, you know, that's the way it has to be. And we also have to believe that if that is true, then it, the Christmas carol is, is also, you know, away in a manger. No crying he makes. Jesus never cried. And Mary smiles through the whole process. Right, ladies? Of course not. What it means to have God with us and around our lives. We have to understand it goes beyond just the feelings and the aspirations and the dreams of American Christians. Let's get a real look at Bethlehem. We're given this verse. After birth, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. This is the real coming of Jesus. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph have no delivery room. Friends, they don't even have a cheap motel on West Colfax. They have to choose a lean-to or a cave. There's no attendants, no midwives, not even any other mothers who would coach Mary through this their first birth. Joseph, who's never done anything like this, has told Dr. Joseph, you're in charge. Think of all the things that probably went wrong <laughs> in those hours uh, of labor. Um, as you look at the video, it'll show you that Joseph is a doofus. And he, he's just trying to help. Uh, also, just a warning again to parents, if you look at the video... Uh, make sure you see it first before your children because your children might feel real guilty about the pain they caused you in birth, okay? So make sure that there's some understanding you know what's coming. So they are in a, a, in a cave or a lean-to. It's built for livestock. Uh, water has to be brought from town. When we moved to Denver in 1981, uh, one of the things that people said you have to go to is the stock show. So within our first year or two, we went to the stock show in January. But understand, we've been city people, and our son knows two cities. He's about six or seven, he's only four or five years old. Uh, but all that he knows when we go to the stock show for the first time is Sydney, Australia, a city of about three million, and Denver, Colorado, a city just a little bit smaller. We go to the stock show, and as soon as he walks into the animal areas... The smell overwhelms him. He's never smelled animal urine and feces before in his life. We watch him get nauseous. We watch him run out. We watch, you know, it's terrible for him. It's not so good for me either, all right? But we just, it's overwhelming. This is what Joseph has to deal with. Now, he's used to it. But still, you go, this is where... This, the Savior is going to be born? This is real life. The place has not been cleaned or deodorized. So, and so Joseph has to rake out the old hay with all the feces in it and rake in the new. Somehow they get through it. The baby is born through great labor pains. And as he comes out, he's covered in blood just like all other babies. He has afterbirth all around him. And Mary wraps him in strips of cloth Probably used before. Probably from a resale store. 
and puts them in the closest thing they have to a crib, a feeding trough, or at least it looks like Joseph got some new hay in there first. Is this any way to bring the Son of the, the Son of God Most High to earth? And most of us would say, no, we would not settle for this today in our world. But God would say he has done this in the fullness of time and in the fullness of his perfect wisdom. And if you're asking the question, is this any way to bring the Son of the Most High God to earth? His answer is yes, according to plan. Yes, according to plan. Here's the truth about Bethlehem. It was not to display God's glory so much as God's humility. And friends, as I've said every week, Christmas is all about human humility. Christmas is all about human humility. You cannot read those passages and miss it. And so as we were reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, understand that what we're looking at is the humility of Christ himself. It's the second half of Emmanuel. He is just like us. In fact, he is willing to be less than us in many ways. And so we believe this was written maybe as a poem at first, but used throughout the churches in the region. And maybe they put music to it so it was chanted or it was like a hymn in the second chapter of Philippians. And it maps out who Emmanuel is and what Emmanuel willingly does. It begins with his greatness. He is by nature God, who in nature being very God, it says. So that's his eternal stuff, his heavenly DNA. So before birth, human birth, Jesus comes from out of this world. And he comes out willingly. Then it says, even though, you know, he was by nature God, he does not hold on, he does not grasp on to his equality with God. He doesn't demand honor in this earth. Not just as a son of God, but but as as a son of Mary. And and he has been eternally... Uh, given this this short space of just 30 to 36 years where he takes on flesh and is treated not just like any other human, but less than many humans. It says this, he makes himself nothing, or the Greek is probably he emptied himself. And again, books of 600 pages can explain that to you in German and in English. You don't have to read either of them. But it seems to say that he is letting go the rights of his divinity. He empties himself of them. So even as a human and as the son of God, but also as a human, he never brags about himself. He grows up rural. He grows up poor. He grows up ordinary. He grows up obscure. There's nothing about him that would ever cause you to take notice. And certainly nothing that makes him appear to be special. Certainly nothing that appears to make him divine. Every fourth kid was named Jesus. Boy. Very common name. And so if you ask, well, what should I call you? Let's start with the Son of God Most High. No, just call me Jesus. And that's how he lived his life. When he emptied himself... And makes himself nothing. 
It even goes further because it says then he took the form of a servant. He goes lower than humanity, not just a human being, but a servant human being, usually one who is told to take orders from others. And then it says he submitted himself, meaning there's choice. He made this choice. He submitted himself to death. He could have slaughtered all of Rome and all of Jerusalem. He is not executed at his crucifixion. He gives his life away. And then finally it says, even death on the cross. You ready for this second half of what it means to be Emmanuel? The cross is the most humiliating method of execution ever invented. It demeans the criminal to the lowest form of human life. And it delights in every criminal screaming for mercy. It tells all who are spectators of a crucifixion, you don't mess with Rome or this could happen to you. Scholars have looked at this passage and said, it it shows where he starts from, and then it's like a descending staircase, all going down, 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 until you get to the very bottom, death on a cross. Nothing lower possible for any human being. So it's just not a list. It's a list of it gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. He is more humiliated. It gets even harder. So we get to that point where it says what can go wrong now? And we understand there's a point behind it all. Because though it describes Jesus, it is also giving instructions to every Christian. The whole passage begins with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verses 6 to 8 describe his humiliation, not just his humility. And then it says... The model of our life is what he just goes through. Our attitude, our identity, the inner identity we carry around about ourselves, the core value of our lives. What ignites our soul to action is this word humility. You see, Christmas is not a hall pass. To say, I should not be uh, experiencing any, any type of adversity. We look at Christmas and understand it is God's opportunity to demonstrate the attitude of humility. So perfectly displayed by Jesus in his earthly life. This week I've been challenged because I, to get new fresh insights into a, a, a very familiar passage, you know, I, I said, well, let's, what's something I haven't looked up in a while? And um, so I, I, I picked up the, um, the what's it called, the, the Serendipity Bible. And the Serendipity Bible is so good for small groups because it gives you the passage and then it gives you questions to ask in, in, in the groups. And so as I'm, I'm looking at that, I usually avoid the questions because I say, I can write those. In fact, when I look at the questions, I usually say, I can write them better. Those are really messy questions. But I look at one at the very top as it's describing 
Jesus' humility and had asked this question. What is the relationship between personal humility and group unity? What's the relationship between personal humility and group unity? Why didn't I think of that? There's a deep relationship. They are so intertwined like a two-fold cord. There's a deep relationship. When you think of unity, people you really want to be with, as you think of unity in any organization you're with, as you're thinking of unity in the church, what what is the relationship of your personal humility to the group unity? Let me go on. Because just as Jesus was born into real life, so understand that every Christmas we experience real life and maybe to the 10th degree. When I say real life, because there's so much more stuff happening at Christmas, then so many more things can go wrong. This week, I heard the word cancer four times regarding people in this church. There was a pink slip given just before Christmas. There were bills that could not be paid. There were relationships that are slow to reconcile. There'll be some empty chairs at the Christmas dinner table this year. People who celebrated it last year won't be there this year. Insults were thrown out in anger. Words were spoken that cannot be taken back. And you look at that and you say, is this really God's plan? Is this how life is supposed to go? God, I want the first half of Emmanuel. You can keep the second half. But Jesus didn't. And that is our calling each day as we open our eyes and we realize that we are breathing and we are still on this earth. We have not been translated to heaven yet. And so our calling as we open our eyes is that we have this attitude in us which we find in Christ Jesus so perfectly displayed. I want to show you a clip of this week's video that we hope you will get a chance to look at. And uh, let's just look at it and I'll make a comment afterwards. Couldn't God have done a better job of orchestrating things? Couldn't he have made a way for Mary and Joseph to be exempt from paying taxes? I mean, does he overlook things like a hotel with no vacancies? And what about you? You give your life to God, you thought by now you'd be married. By now your business would have taken off. By now you'd be a mother. And it just seems that oftentimes things aren't very well thought out. But the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we just don't understand. But have you noticed that oftentimes things make more sense in hindsight? And so what we're able to do is 2,000 years later, look back on the Christmas story and discover that many of God's plans and purposes are made clear. In the late, uh, must have been mid-1970s, I walked into a church and I saw a group of people not sitting in the pews, but sort of falling to their knees and singing a chorus that I haven't heard in a long, long time. 
I'm not a soloist, but uh, it goes like this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Higher and higher and he will lift you up. They sang it for four or five minutes. I don't know if they left any humbler. But what it pointed out to me is humbling myself in the sight of the Lord is not because I have all these situations going south. Humbling myself on the side of the Lord means I make a choice to say what is going on right here. I'm going to see as an opportunity of God that it's not going to be my ego that takes place. It's not going to be that that would just push forward. But instead, I'm just going to be sitting here and wondering what God wants to do through it. I have a big ego. I like things to go my way. More than that, I'm really smart, and you would do much better if you did things my way than yours. Every time. Just ask three kids I raised. <laughs> he talks about hindsight. That we look back in hindsight, and that's half of the story. But it's not the end of the passage. you got to do the whole thing. Because there's also, you, you, may, you maybe find yourself enduring more and, and accepting the, uh, the, the humbling opportunities that God gives you if you understand foresight, too. So here is how the passage ends. It looks forward, and if you understand what is coming soon, what Jesus will be soon to us, then maybe we say, it will be worth it all. Not we look back and say, it was worth it all. But we look forward and say, it will be worth it all. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You really only have to read that. But understand that through Christ's humiliation and choosing uh, uh, time after time to humble himself and take the role that God the Father has, has set out for him. As he did that, it wasn't the end because now he is the most honored person in all of creation. And he is given the name, not just the status, but given the name that is honored above everyone in any hall of fame, any national hero, any great leader, leader of any nation. His name is Christ Jesus. And that will be worthy of honor when it is spoken. It'll be, it's worthy of honor now to those who have chosen to put their trust in him, who believe in him. It'll be worthy of honor to those who have chosen in this life not to believe in him. Even though they chose not to trust him, they will bow and they will confess. All humanity will say, this is God's son, the savior that God has promised humanity. He is marked with humility in this life for sacrificing his human life so we could have eternal life. His greatness is measured by how much he gives, not how much he gets. And now there are billions honoring him as Emmanuel. He's receiving the glory for the humility that he displays. 
and you will share in that. Glory is coming. Rewards are promised. But for now, you ask, is this chaos and pain God's plan for me? And the best Christmas answer I have is, it's how Jesus' life begins. It's how Jesus' life ends. My guess is everything in the middle was about the same. But God the Spirit and God the Father and all of creation, there is this surging honor being placed on him for what he endures in this life. And so, know real well, this honor is going to be shared by you. Man, your foresight can also help your hindsight of choosing humility. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we would love because we moved to the mountain area and around Evergreen, we would love the charm life that goes with everything happening just as we would desire. And we give all the credit to Emmanuel. But we accept also that you are grooming us for heaven. Now in pain, now in adversity, now in chaos, You are shaping us and making us more useful to you. So when we placed our faith in you, it was you, Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call the Christ. We placed our trust in you. Not the good outcome, but in you. So Lord, this Christmas, do your work. And every adversity, every fallen tree, every messy floor, every difficult person, every bit of bad news, all the chaos going on internationally, do your work now in our lives in these uncontrollable situations so that we might become more like Jesus, whom we call Emmanuel. And God's people said,